This week's episode of Kaiju Weekly is brought to you by Marlowe's Jungle Tours. Is your family looking to get lost in a unique, heart-pounding experience? Marlowe has spent almost 30 years researching the safest, most beautiful parts of the landscape for you to enjoy. You'll see things so beautiful, they can only be compared to a hot dog and a beer at Wrigley Field on opening day. Sign up for Marlowe's Jungle Tours today by visiting our website, www.marlowtourskSI.gov. That's www.marlotourskSI.gov. Marlowe's Jungle Tours is not responsible for loss of life. That includes, but is not limited to, impalement by giant spiders or being eaten by a giant octopus. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me is the Kaiju groupie, Michael. Hello, everybody. How are y'all? And a very special guest all the way from the great land of Europe. Uh, <laughs> and, the country uh, Europe, yeah. The country of Europe. Uh, I'm from America. I go to American schools. It's the country of Europe. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's Germany. Sam. Yeah, exactly. Hey, good to be uh, back. Yeah, welcome back, Sam. We had so much fun doing the Tremors episode. We had to have you back on. Oh, it's good to be back. I'm looking forward to this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I look forward to them all, but you know. <laughs> I listened to that episode, Sam, and it actually made me appreciate the Tremors uh, franchise just a little bit more. Really? Okay, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I was bringing a lot of the uh, enthusiasm for the movies. Uh, Sam just brought a lot of the biology and ecology knowledge. <laughs> I, ha I have to repeat, I love the first one. Like I said, I love the first one. It's just the second one that I'm like, oh, this is, I don't have that veil of nostalgia, you know? And it, yeah. uh, it just only goes downhill from there, I feel like. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I one thing, like, Travis, yeah. that I wish Sam would have... The episode that I wish Sam would have been on is actually the Killer Tomatoes episode. Because the ecology oh, yeah. and the physiology of Killer Tomatoes, that would have been an interesting oh, yeah. conversation. We, I mean, the the plants plants moving things. So we did the Ents in a really early episode of Cinematica and uh -huh. earlier. And Dave was just spending hours going through, like, um, uh, different types of botany textbooks and everything, just looking for some plant that, like, walked or just moved in <laughs> some way that could transform into locomotion. And he could find nothing. So instead of making the ants plants that moved, we had to turn them into, like, sloth-like creatures that just grew massive amounts of vegetation on them and moved around with that vegetation on them. It was, I, I don't think I would have actually been much fun for the attack of the killer tomatoes. No, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, I put AJ through the, through the ringer with that one because he, uh, he, he had never seen it before and I made him watch that movie. It was punishment. <laughs> made him suffer through it. It was, it was punishment. <laughs> I no. like the movie. I like the movie, but I understand it's a punishment for most people. <laughs> if you come from it from the standpoint that it's supposed to be a satire then it's fine. But if you're unprepared for that fact, <laughs> then you are, you're in for a rough ride. Yeah. What's it, uh, so, what's it a satire of? Like the Rocky, not Rocky Horror, um, Little Shop of Horrors, that sort of thing? Or just horror movies from that era in general? 
Well, yeah, it's it's um it's horror movies, you know, giant monster movies from the era, uh, B movies. It, that's really what it's satir- uh, satirizing. Um, it came out in the seventies. I think actually it came out just like three years after. I think three years after Jaws came out. So uh, okay, there was this new era of kind of exploitation horror movies that were yeah. very sexualized and very gory. And so it kind of, you know, satirizes that. And if you've ever seen Naked Gun, Spaceballs, or um, Airplane, oh. it's that's that's it's right in that world of humor. Okay, nice. So give it a go. I love the old Leslie Nielsen films. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's not it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I enjoy it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so for anyone who hasn't listened to our Tremors episode, um, we have uh, Sam back on, who is the host of the Cinematica Animalia podcast. You are a ecologist, an ecologist, and you guys on your podcast like to approach monster movies from the uh, side of the science of them and explain like the science of how these would exist. What real world explanation do we have for these things? Um, yeah. Am I doing a good job? <laughs> yeah, that's about right. I mean, okay. so Adam and I, uh, we're both ecologists and we, we run a, uh, a website called ecology for the masses, which is all about making this mm-hmm. sort of science more accessible to people. Uh, and, uh, we both love movies and I also have a uh, friend from Canada, uh, called, uh, he's Dave and he's a vet so, and he loves movies as well. So he approaches it kind of from the physiology perspective. Uh, how would some of these, uh, these animals breathe, drink, what would they need to eat? All that sort of stuff. We look in the context of like, Hey, where would they, where would they have possibly evolved? Uh, what would they kind of compete with? Why do we not see most of these creatures in the fossil record? And so we kind of shoved all this into a podcast where, and I want to make this clear, we, we're not trying to pick apart the movies because we have got a lot of criticism <laughs> for this. People being like, you know, they're just films, right? Like, you don't have to take it that seriously. <laughs> we're more in, the, in the, the spirit of getting people interested in science kind of through some of the, uh, the ideas that these movies present. In preparation for this episode, Sam, I listened to, um, I listened to your episode on Godzilla and the ecology and the physiology uh, for his franchise. I didn't, I didn't get to Kong uh, like I wanted to, but I found it really interesting. I think it was Dave that compared him to a fungus. Am I correct on if I am I correct in remembering that? A fungus. Oh, the uh, the ability to absorb radiation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So there are uh, a lot of species of mold, like uh, even growing in Chernobyl now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that are just insanely like uh, unkillable. There's just these immortal species of fungi, basically, or molds that have popped up in the wake of all this radiation that's there in uh, there in Chernobyl. So that was the only kind of thing we could think to compare them to of anything that feeds on radiation. It was it was all we had really. It was a- well, yeah. it actually made a lot. You know, in a weird way, it actually made a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, you guys explained it in a way that was understandable. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I can, I can kind of see it what, what, from what angle they're approaching this at. But uh, I yeah. was telling Travis on the back channel that I, I had to laugh a little bit out loud when you guys took that, that classic scene where Godzilla is, is uh, surfing on his tail. And you were going through the physiology of how that would work. <laughs> oh, and yeah. I, 
And I was, and I was just, I was just laughing so hard because I've never heard it taken so seriously outside oh, of, outside of the fan base. So, well, I'll try not to, I'll try not to ruin Kong too hard today because there is some, <laughs> there is some horrible stuff that would happen to that, uh, that primate uh, if That's you fine. if you tried to do certain things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I'll, I'll gloss over a little bit of it because, I mean, you know, one of the biggest problems with Kong is his size, but he's a kaiju, so he's no fun if we say, you know, he can't be that big. So, right. but there is there is some hilarious stuff. And uh, now I know this is PG, but um, how would you guys feel about me describing some of the effects that would have to uh, be applied to Kong's uh, scrotum? Oh, that's fine. That's, that's fine. fine. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we're anywhere, anywhere between PG thirteen, PG seventeen. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we can go ahead and jump into the episode. Um, so like normal, we are going to cover some news items before we get into the main topic. So we're going to start with the news of, and I'm not sure if Sam, if you were familiar with, uh, this because it's, it's been, we've been sharing in our social medias, um, for the last couple of weeks, but we had a special watch along, a two day movie marathon uh, for giant monster fans. And we called it Kaiju quarantine. And that was over the weekend. Yeah. I, uh, I've seen this uh, popping up on the social media as well. I think it's a fantastic initiative. I'm happy it uh, went quite well. Yeah. And that's the news was that it was a success. It was a smash hit. We had so much fun doing it, and uh, we are looking forward to planning another one at some point soon. Oh, it was it was it was so much fun, and I'm going to admit it was actually exhausting. Uh, by the time mm-hmm. it was over, I was I was just so tired because uh, <laughs> you're going to bed late, and you're just you're providing commentary, and, and you're staying you're basically sta- staying online all day long and just chit chatting with people. And you wouldn't think that would be exhausting, but it, it does get exhausting after a while, trying to come up with new things to say uh, over the course of, what, eight hours? Eight, mm-hmm. eight ten hours, something like that? Uh, yeah, it was, but it was yeah. a huge success. We had a lot of fun, and probably the best part that I, uh, that I can think of for me is just the fact that we got to talk and just... Uh, communicate with people that we necessarily wouldn't do on a normal basis, like the guys from Tokyo Lives and uh, uh, GargantuCast, Chris from GargantuCast, and some other fantastic uh, people within the community. And it was just a lot of fun, and and the people that actually showed up for it um, seemed to have a lot of fun in the chat and seemed to have a lot of fun watching along and hearing our um, half-assed commentary on some of that stuff, so... (laughs) yeah it was a ton of fun it was so much fun and michael had so much fun that he passed out during the last movie so i can neither (laughs) confirm nor deny that i had had a few before the end of that marathon i imagine you would need it the last couple of hours there's going to be some strong stuff being passed around well the final the final film was final wars and i don't know if you remember that one but uh, yes that's one of my well of the the few i remember from my massive godzilla phase when i was like 2021 that was one of my favorites that's the one where um uh zilla gets smashed into the sydney Uh opera yeah that's the one right and so that was our finale that was our grand finale and it was just it was a free-for-all and i guess my body told me that i had had enough so i had i just (laughs) What's the opinion of that film within the fandom, Final Wars? Because I remember loving that. Like, is it's that well kind regarded? of split. 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of split. It's split opinion, definitely. Okay. Now, I really enjoy it. I, I do really enjoy that movie. It is just absolute fun chaos, and I, I, I love it. But, um, yeah, I it was one that I didn't realize the fans didn't like until I got involved in the community. Mm. And then as soon as I got into the community, I found out, it's like, oh, people don't like that movie? Okay, I didn't know that, because I, I loved it. I mean, it, me being kind of basically by myself, not having other people around who liked Godzilla movies, I was just like, hey, it's a Godzilla movie, I'm gonna like it, no matter what. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's kind of split half and half. Half of them really like it, half of them don't really like it. It, uh, it, it is very chaotic, so. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was a ton of fun. We enjoyed having everybody out. So, listeners, if you made it to Kaiju Quarantine and you listened in on it or, and watched along with us, thank you so much for being a part of that. And we look forward to doing another one real soon. We've already been talking about themes for the next one. So... Stay tuned for in our social medias for that announcement. Um, moving on to the next bit of news, it's just a quick bit of news. Toei had launched their Tokusatsu YouTube channel where they put all of their uh, TV shows and stuff on and then was immediately hit with copyright strikes and taken down by... Toei. <laughs> so this is an interesting situation here. Um, so Toei is one of the companies, along with a lot of companies, who, that have kind of contributed to the weirdness and kind of just really just terrible system that YouTube has for flagging uh, videos for copyright uh, infringement. And... Uh, so when Toei put out some of their, uh, videos, some of their, some of their actual TV shows that they have, they instantly got flagged by their own copyright and got taken down. So a lot of these shows are still not available to watch in all regions because they found out real quickly that Toei actually doesn't have the licensing, uh, or the distribution rights for a lot of these, so they can't put them on youtube in all regions so kind of poetic justice for a company for a big company that copyright strikes a lot of uh smaller youtube channels to have their own official youtube channel copyright struck <laughs> yeah a lot of the people when when this started to pop up on online that it had happened to them the overwhelming response was good that's what they they get what they deserve because we've you know there's a lot of Toei, like you said, Travis, has been one of those companies that have been real thorns about copyright mm -hmm. striking uh, independent content creators uh, that have anything to do within the, the fan base. So, yeah, I mean, but I think they've since got it fixed. They've, they've since got it up and running again. So you can go. Yeah, it. It is up and running, so you can go and subscribe to the channel, but like I said, not everything is available in every region. So for North American audiences, the um, the Sentai series are not available to watch. Which is which kind of Yeah, that's kind of disappointing because that's what the that's the ones I was looking forward to. Um Common Rider, I think, is also included in that, is not available in North America. Um 
and uh, different regions have different uh, distribution rights. Like they like they've um, licensed out to other companies to distribute them, so they can't actually make the videos available in certain countries and certain regions. It makes me wonder what uh, Shout Factory was able to do to pull off their collaboration with Pluto TV. Well, that's the thing. Shout Factory is one of the license holders okay. for Super Sentai. Um, so that's that's what uh, that's where the conflict is is coming from. Sure. Um, and I think there's other companies that actually have the distribution rights in in North America. So, Sam, I'm sorry if this is kind of all whoosh <laughs> going over your head. <laughs> I see Sam's eyes just getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. the longer we the longer we ramble on so we probably better move on with this portion of the of the news yeah yeah um oh, good guys i i i got i always get the show notes beforehand and i do a little bit of research so i'm sure okay good but the next one there's just too many acronyms so i'm, I'm a bit oh <laughs> um so moving into the next bit of news we have new images of the updated NECA Godzilla Mothra King Ghidorah figure uh packaging to be <laughs> that's what GMK, GMK stands for okay, gotcha. yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's it's easier than saying Godzilla Mothra King Ghidorah all monsters are giant monsters all out attack yes. okay. um, every time um but uh so we just got we got pictures for the new packaging uh for this figure that's going to be released uh, later this month. So this is for people who are collectors of the toys and uh, who are interested in this. Uh, the thing about NECA, the figures, uh, Godzilla figures, the the packaging is probably my favorite part of them. That's what a lot of collectors they use are going to the... be after is the packaging because they used to be in all these old and uh, when they when during the original release they used to be in just the blister packs. Uh, right. So yeah, just now the plastic. Yeah. Now yes. they're redoing everything. They're they're redoing the entire line in these collector style boxes. Uh, so right. I mean, I, they, and they feature like the movie poster yeah, yeah. on the front and everything, and it opens up and stuff. So it's it's really nice packaging. Yeah, it is. I is have the, a couple. Go ahead. Is the kaiju like uh, the the fan base the same with like uh, these sort of collectible stuff as your classic like I don't know Star Wars uh, you know Marvel comics like you get one and you don't open it and all that sort of stuff or, or it depends it just... on who you it honestly depends on who you talk to uh, Sam okay. because a lot I know a lot of collectors who will double what they'll what they call double dipping and they will buy one figure display it and then they will buy a second one and save it and usually those are the people that are maybe making the investment to sell later on down the line okay yeah i'm not in the collector community so my stuff gets opened when i get it <laughs> yeah i'm in the collector's um, but, community and i i open and display all my stuff all the yeah. anytime i get something new yeah so. um so the next bit of news is the cast list and maquette model for the kaiju film uh in nezera 1964 uh has been revealed so, Michael, do you, uh, was going to ask your opinion. I'm going to butcher these names, so I'm not even going to go through it. But yeah, the cast list for the yeah, Nezra 1964 like... film, which is basically the, the Lost film from the 60s, from 1964, uh, about the mm -hmm. giant rats that attack, attack Tokyo. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Travis, in that original film, it was actually going to be sort of a Night of the Lepus style film with actual rats. 
Um, yeah, they were supposed to have actual rats. Well, they did, because they did film part of it, um, have actual rats. And then they were going to do a suit mm-hmm. and have an actual suit oh, okay. monster f- with miniatures for the final big uh Rat yeah, from monster. what I'm from what I'm understanding, this maquette, this maquette model is this clay, whatever clay, whatever it's made of, clay or resin. Um, mm-hmm. It's not final. Um, we probably won't see the final design for Nezera, the actual kaiju, until closer to release, most likely. But but it's cool. Uh, if you look it up on, I think Kaiju News Kaiju News Outlet has uh, some photos up on their account. Uh, of the kaiju yep that is that ugly sob right there um but yeah he looks he looks pretty cool i'm i'm gonna i'm probably gonna watch it um uh just for kicks and giggles i'm not expecting it to be uh uh as good as some of the others but yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to it and uh sam this is from the same company that did gamera if you're familiar with gamera okay. the giant turtle yeah, this um this movie. What happened was they had planned to make this movie. They started filming it, and then they shut it down, uh, and it never got finished. So it's kind of a lost film, okay. uh, in that way that it just never never got finished. Um, and then some of the miniatures got used for Gamera, the the giant monster, uh, the giant turtle movie. Okay. Um, and so the the company that now owns the rights to all of Daae's movies is making a modern version of this movie. They're going in and remaking it. Uh, and so that's what we're talking about here. Okay. Yeah. I've got, uh, the stuff I've got down here says it's crowdfunded. It's a crowdfunded film. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's correct. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay. Cool. Yep. Yep. So, uh, it's, it's an interesting one. I'm still of the opinion that they should have gone with a, uh disaster artist style like making of because if you ever do research in the story of why the movie got shut down and all of the bizarreness that happened on set Mm. it was a fascinating story yeah so i would love to see like a movie version of just the real life story of what happened to that film but that's not what they're doing they're doing an actual adaptation of what the film was supposed to be is there precedent? Is there precedent for that? Like, have they done films before about the making of early Godzilla films or anything like that sort of thing in Japan? Uh, there is an I think there is an autobiography out there about Ishiro Honda. Uh, I know there's one in book form, but I want to say there's one out there in in uh, video media form about Ishiro Honda uh, okay. that kind of explores yeah. that. But I don't know if it explores it in a way that Travis is saying, like the disaster, like sort of a right like a fictionalized his real life history of what was happening yeah yeah no as far as i know the only thing we have is like documentaries yeah we'll have a few documentaries here and there of the making of you know certain movies but for the most part there's no like uh like i was saying like disaster artist where you have an actual fictionalized retelling of the historic events of yeah. of making of i don't think there's anything like that so uh, that's why I, I think it would be really really interesting to do it because that's never as far as i know has never been done for a kaiju film and there are tons of lost kaiju films there are ones that have been made and were screened and viewed and then just destroyed 
and so we don't have any copies of. There are ones that have disappeared that nobody knows what happened to them. And so there's tons of these movies. I would love for them to do something like that at some point. Yeah. I'm a, uh, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. And of course, that stretches back. I think the first Godzilla film predates the first Doctor Who episode. But I mean, regardless, it stretches back into the 60s. And they have a lot of the same issues. Like most of the second mm-hmm. Doctor stuff, like the old black and white episodes, BBC has no idea where those tapes went. Yeah, and it goes down to, um, and I think I talked about it with Stephen, um, my other co-host, one time before on this podcast, that back in the day, there just wasn't a a this idea that we need to preserve this for you know, future generations or for the masses in the future. It was just like, well, we did it. It's done. Yeah. Let's, you know, we'll just toss it into a closet somewhere yeah. or we'll throw it away. They didn't really care to preserve things uh, back in the day. And the material that they used to film things on wasn't meant to last either. Uh, some of these films, so that, well, some of these quote unquote lost films are probably literally sitting in someone's bathroom at this very minute. Just <laughs> tucked away somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it's that's a if, real possibility. If they still survived. Because uh, I know with a few of the Japanese ones, the the buildings that they were in are were destroyed mm-hmm. during the firebombing um, during the war. So it's like, you know, some of the some of those things just don't exist anymore. <laughs> and, ba- and just to kind of bring um, it around to our the, our latter conversation, uh, there's actually a book that I think Nathan, he touts a lot. Uh, it's a book by uh, Donald uh, Glutt and Robert Lamb, The Kong Unmade. It's the uh, unmade, all the unmade Kong mm-hmm. films and some of their concepts. So uh, Nathan uh, promotes that book pretty heavily when we when you start talking about lost films. So it's it's I haven't yeah, read it yet, I... but it's probably worth worth picking up and adding to the library if you're interested in that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I really would like to do an episode of this podcast just about unmade or, or lost mm-hmm. um, kaiju films, because I, I really think that's interesting. It would be interesting. Uh, an interesting topic. Um, so now uh, our last two news items are going to be in the world of spoilers. So we're going to put a big spoiler alert right here for anyone who is not interested in hearing Godzilla vs. Kong uh leaks and uh toy leaks so we will put the uh timestamp for when we start discussing our main topic and you guys can cut to that if you want to skip over this so i'm giving everybody the option to uh not get spoiled in three okay. two one Okay, so there were more toy releases, or well, not toy releases, but toy leaks mm-hmm. uh, spread around on the internet showing things from Godzilla vs. Kong. So, Michael, do you want to talk about a couple of those? Yeah, and these are not anything new, really. If you were familiar with the leaks that came out, I, bel- I want to say maybe three months ago about at, at the Hong Kong, at that toy fair in Hong Kong, um, someone basically snuck a camera in when they weren't supposed to, took a few pictures at a distance of some toys to do with Godzilla vs. Kong. Uh, and now we know who supporting Kaiju for that movie will be, uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. or fortunately, however you want to look at it. But uh, yeah, so we have now HD images 
uh, from the Playmates company. I believe they're a United States. I think they're a states-based company, Travis. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah. of some of the toys that we're going to be getting or collectors are going to be getting for the film, uh, and they reveal actually quite a bit. And there's a few fan theories uh, surrounding some of those toys that's ex- that's going to happen uh, during the movie. I remember one one toy in particular. Uh, Travis, have you seen them? Just I want to clarify mm-hmm. before yeah, I say anything. Yeah. Okay. Um, one toy in particular sh- uh, showcases Kong with a what looks to be a handmade axe that he made mm-hmm. himself. Um, so that's pretty cool. And uh, one is called Mega Godzilla, which mm-hmm. is weird because it's Godzilla, but he has these big red uh, armored uh, coverings over his dorsal plates. Uh, so that gives me a, a sort of a, a theory as to maybe how, uh, at first I thought maybe it was Dagon, because if you go back and read the comics, Travis and Sam, uh, Dagon, who is a descendant of Godzilla, is referenced in the comics. Um, so I thought maybe they recovered the corpse of Dagon and reanimated it, but it looks to be actually Godzilla because the spines are exactly the same. Uh, as the film as the one we got in 2019 for king of the monsters so that leads me to go ahead travis i'm sorry oh well i when i was gonna i was gonna ask uh sam are you looking forward to godzilla versus kong oh i should ask that first yeah yeah i I, um so i wasn't look i love the monster fights in godzilla king of the monsters um, uh-huh. mm-hmm. I thought the plot was kind of a mess. I was actually listening to you guys, uh, in your episode on the, um, you and Steve in your episode on, uh, on King of the Monsters, one of the first ones you did. And mm-hmm. I guess I got more of an appreciation for it when I watched it then. Cause what you guys were saying was, look, if you look at it from the perspective of normal American films, this plot is convoluted. It's right. a mess. But I mean, I remember my, you know, my Godzilla phase in the early, uh, you know, when I was in my early twenties and yeah, absolutely. All those films, there's no... There's no kind of you're not right. you're not there for the plot. You see that you're there to see giant, giant monsters fight. So from that sense, it was great. Right. So I'm excited to see more Godzilla, but I love the one we're talking about today. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Kong uh-huh. duke it out with you know Godzilla. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's that classic sort of you know what would happen if you put a bear against a crocodile or a, a gorilla against right. a a. Um, What's the closest thing? A radioactive monster. Yeah, radioactive monster. Because I mean, it's the idea of the unstoppable force meets the immovable object. Yeah. Uh, Well, I I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. I was a little, like I said, a little taken aback by King of the Monsters being a bit of a, but I'm I'm still totally up for this. And I think I think yeah, uh, Legendary kind of knew that. Yeah. Because they didn't. I will die. I will die on the hill of always saying that King of the Monsters was a love letter to the fan base. It may have not have been received well by the general audience, but if you are a fan, you probably loved King of the Monsters uh, because there is so many Easter eggs that that calls back to the original series, the, the Showa era and the Heisei era, uh, particularly. Um, so it, it gets some mixed reactions within the fan base as well because you know. Uh, some people love the film. I'd say most people love the film. There are some people who want to nitpick, who want to pick it apart, which that's understandable. You you, you can do that. But um, but yeah, anyway, so um, just for the purposes of this little, uh, for this news story, um, calling back 
one of the char- one of the characters that was leaked back a few months ago was actually Mechagodzilla. Um, so we are going to be re- we are going to be seeing some kind of version of Mechagodzilla for this upcoming film, which I'm a little bit disappointed in because uh, I did not want. Uh, there to be a big bad i did not want to i did not want there to be a, a boss at the end of that film because i and i have this feeling that mechagodzilla is going to be the boss uh mm-hmm. that they're going to have to join forces yeah. to fight um but yeah i was kind of hoping that it, it focused mostly on godzilla and kong yeah and if there was going to be something else. like that save it toward the very end and set up the next film but i don't know if if legendary has anything planned after godzilla versus kong that's the thing so maybe they're going to try and go out with as big a bang as they possibly can at this point um yeah now so, talking about the the figure um and you mentioned the handmade axe that kong uh is using if you look at the toy closely it looks like one of Godzilla's dorsal fins that he has attached to a big oh, stick. That would okay. be very interesting. So um, I'm wondering if that ties in with what we were saying, how the mega Godzilla figure shows battle this. damage. Right. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's really interesting. It doesn't reveal anything. So, I mean, the, the, uh, the mega Godzilla reveal, I wish they uh, didn't know that until the movie came out but can't do anything about it um but they haven't really revealed too much about the plot plot Mm -hmm. the actual plot of the movie no and i'm still excited to see it oh i mean like like i said in my q a episode they're gonna get my money regardless so i mean (laughs) yeah i'm not i'm not worried about it uh one of the other leaks that came out and it's not 100 percent confirmed but it's pretty much uh, a foregone conclusion is Funko Pop. And Sam, if you're, are you familiar with the Funko Pop series? Yep. These little distorted figures? Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of them that are supposed to be listed uh, as far as the licensing, 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 geez, I can't even talk to this, the license agreement for this movie. Um, but one of them, I feel like is going to spoil the winner for us. Uh, and if you know the history of, if you know the history of Kong, uh they are uh, i think it's you or is it rko is it you is it universal or rko that owns the rights to kong that owns the rights to king kong not the not the not the uh, public domain kong but king kong universal um, um has it uh, rko um universal has the rights from rko okay so one of the toys is labeled kong but one of them is labeled specifically king kong and i don't know if that's a if that's a winner spoiler or or how they pulled that off so that's it's going to be interesting um there's going to be you know of course godzilla mecha godzilla king kong kong angry kong 10 inch kong 10 inch godzilla and some others if you're familiar with the funko pop line you know uh sort of what to expect with those there's several king of the i think there's several godzilla and king of the monsters funko pops out there and there's several kong funko pops out there so uh i wish i didn't have all this information i really wish i was more surprised but you know it's news and so we have to cover it yeah and and i i think as deep into the community as what michael and i are we're going to find this stuff out i mean there's no way of avoiding it yeah it's hard to be it's really hard to be surprised i knew about i honestly knew about king Ghidorah months before the first trailer Mm -hmm. hit so yeah yeah um but yeah the 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 king kong thing is really interesting because um for sam if you're not aware or for listeners if you're not aware um the 
rights, the copyright uh, for King Kong is kind of a weird thing. Multiple companies own copyrights for King Kong, and then the original story for that King Kong was based off of is in the public domain. So there's kind of this weird mishmash of complexity and everything of who owns the rights to King Kong. And so that's one of the reasons why the uh, movie that we're going to be talking about today, uh, spoiler, um, is named Kong and not King Kong. Yeah, see, I always assumed King Kong was just in the public domain. This is the first time I realized that they actually have, you know, licensing requirements out there. So this, how does that work with, like, the story itself, like the origin story being in the public domain, but the character at the center is not? I think the there are certain aspects of the original story that you can put in a Kong film and you cannot. Like, for example, um, dinosaurs. The reason why the film we're going to talk about today does not have dinosaurs is because that aspect of the plot line is copywritten. Oh, okay. Um, a love interest for Kong that we'll talk about later. That aspect of the plot, I believe, is copywritten. Um, mm-hmm. What there's there's several others like just you can't use King in front of Kong. So that in the line that we're in the line in the movie we're going to cover today, where um, um, John C. Riley says Kong is King, yeah, instead mm-hmm. of he's King Kong. So that's a very that's a very intentional thing that they said because you cannot say King Kong. Because the words King Kong are uh, uh, copywritten. Um, yeah. And I, I always go back to two examples of the copyright laws are complex and weird. And even people who spend a career, you know, like their entire careers built around understanding them still doesn't have a full understanding of them because things change constantly with them um, because companies don't want to give up their copyrights right. uh, for things. But um Two examples I always go back to is one is The Wizard of Oz because the story of The Wizard of Oz is in the public domain, but the MGM film is not. It is under copyright. And so I could go and make a movie about Dorothy and the Cowardly Lion and everything, but if I have Dorothy wearing ruby slippers... Uh I would get axed. I would get copyright struck because the Ruby slippers were not in the original story. So anything in that original story can be allowed, uh, can be you know used, but anything that was invented for the movie cannot be used. Okay. Um, and uh, the other example I always use is Sherlock Holmes because uh, there was a big court case not that long ago between uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's estate and uh, people who were claiming that uh, Sherlock Holmes should be in the public domain. And basically the court case decided that the character of Sherlock Holmes is in the public domain. So anyone can use Sherlock Holmes in their stories, but you cannot use the actual stories of Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. like make adaptations of the actual books without getting the rights from the estate. Oh, okay. Uh, and so, so like I could put, you know, uh, I could put Sherlock Holmes in a story of mine where he meets, you know, another character or whatever and goes on an adventure. But if I tried to recreate Hound of the Baskervilles, that 
would be violating the copyright. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, so it's kind of like that with King Kong or with Kong. Uh, the story is in the public domain, but you have Universal who owns the rights to King Kong. Then you also have other companies like Paramount and Warner Brothers who are uh, who have made their own King Kong stories, and so they also own copyrights on those. And so it becomes very com- complicated. All, all I can think hearing this is that, uh, was it Alan Moore who put together League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Man, I think so. Yeah. The copyright for that must have been a nightmare. Just living hell. Especially like the third series where they're just using everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that was another situation where it's like all of these characters are in the public domain, but you can only use them in certain ways. And so, yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so uh, that's that's interesting. I, I, I do like the idea of, I mean, the whole idea of public domain is, A, when there's no one who can profit off of the creation, mm-hmm. you know, because you want to make sure an artist is getting the money that they deserve for the thing that they created. But when that artist is gone and their family is gone, there's no one else to profit from it. So why not, you know, put it in the public domain? But also because art inspires more art. So having these characters in the public domain means we can have you know, more stories with Sherlock Holmes and people can become creative. Like we said, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, a great comic book series or you know, graphic novels and wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the public domain. But then the problem became is when you have a company like Disney... Walt Disney can no longer profit off of Mickey Mouse, but the company still exists, mm-hmm. and the company legally is an individual. You know, in legal terms, they have all the rights of a person, mm-hmm. a living person. So as long as the company exists, they can still profit off of this thing that they created. So their copyright should still stand is the argument they make, and. They constantly, uh, Disney's, Disney is the one spearheading the main battle to keep, to extend copyright. Like every so often it used to be, you know, 70 years. Now it's like 80, 90 years. Like they keep extending it however long they need to, to keep Mickey Mouse, you know, and all of their movies. One of the, an interesting uh, article I remember seeing, uh, on the internet about sort of copyright law was, yeah, I think it was put out by sci-fi Japan or maybe wired magazine. I can't remember, but the title went something like you think Godzilla scary meet his lawyers <laughs> because, mm-hmm. um, because I think everything, the name, the mythology, everything about that character is copywritten, which has led mm-hmm. Toho to be super stingy with how they can, how people can use his character. Okay. Yeah. I'm very surprised they got away with doing the 1998 film. But from what I understand, Toho greenlit it. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Toho was fully behind it. And then by the time they got to a certain point, it was so different from what the original Godzilla was that they were like, whatever. <laughs> Just like, it's so different anyway. And then they turn around and make their own film, which is vastly better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's where Godzilla 2000 comes from, which is my favorite um so okay we've talked a lot about that (laughs) um so let's move into the main topic uh so that way people who 
avoided the spoilers can jump in back in <laughs> and avoid all of the copyright talk. <laughs> um, but uh, our main topic for this week is Kong Skull Island. And we usually ask the trivia question at the end of each week's episode for uh, and get answers from people. So the trivia question I asked last week was... In what giant monster mo uh, movie, Samuel L. Jackson repeats his famous line from Jurassic Park, hold on to your butts. So what giant monster, and that was, we now know Kong Skull Island, but the answers we got from people were kind of varied, because um, Mark Scully Sullivan said Jurassic Park, which, it's like, uh, I mean, in the question I said the repeated the line from jurassic park so yeah. it's obviously not jurassic some people but, don't read it's fine yeah it's all right mark we like you. um yeah uh matthew anderson said Sk uh, kong skull island and sam yeah <laughs> commented <laughs> it said the lego the lego movie it's just it's my favorite use of hold on to your butts in a, in a film ever i i know it's morgan freeman and i apologize to samuel jackson mm. although i think it's Lawrence fishburne that he normally gets mistaken for uh but mm, yeah, when morgan freeman said hold on to your butts in the lego movie i was just in tears i yeah i love that movie and everything <laughs> it kind of pastiches and satires so yeah i, is, I had to give fun. it a mention yeah. it is fun. <laughs> That is a fun movie. Um, Nathan Adonia Ad Adloan Adloan uh, said Godzilla. Yeah, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Uh, not correct, but we still give you a shout out. Um, now I I am sorry to this next person because I have no idea how to pronounce this because it uses letters that I am not familiar with. Um. Maybe Sam, because you're you you're living in you live in Norway, right? Yeah, but uh, Polish pronunciation is not my forte. Uh, <laughs> okay, I didn't know if there was I didn't know if Norwegian and Polish kind of had some cr uh, like crossover in how oh, they no. pronounce. No, no, okay. no, no, no. no. Uh, Slav Slavic languages are very different from the Nordic languages. But I, uh, look, okay. I would say Matthias Posel or Poshel. I think enough. it's a I think it's a s. I think it's a a, a soft a soft s. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Mateus Pussell, um, said Kong Skull Island. So I am very sorry to, uh, this person for not being able to pronounce your names, but the. And I'm doubly so sorry if it turns out you're not Polish. My <laughs> that would be even worse. Yeah. yeah. Well, it just it, it it did look it looked Polish or it looked like one of those uh, languages from that region, and so and I I me being unfamiliar with the languages of that yeah. part of Europe, I'm like I I don't know. <laughs> um, give me Spanish. Give me some Japanese. I can handle Korean. I'm fine the those eastern european or, or or even western european ones it's like eh, i don't know <laughs> um so uh nathan from the monster island film vault podcast said uh it's the little known transformer spinoff about optimus prime's cousin the ugly mother trucker <laughs> oh nathan oh nathan <laughs> Uh, and Thorax, who's one of our, uh, 
Patreon supporters on Twitter said, Angiris, Baragon, and Varon, uh, Giant Monsters All Out Attack, which for veteran kaiju fans is something we wish we could see. Right. Because that was the, that was the proposed plan for GMK, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, and then they switched those monsters out for, uh, uh, Mothra and King Ghidorah. <laughs> so, oh, if only, if only. <laughs> uh, Cameron Walker on Twitter uh, said, uh, did he say it in, in Kong Skull Island? I think I remember that. You remember correctly, Cameron, because it is. <laughs> and then Atomic Monster Casey said, Kong Skull Island and Elijah from uh, Kaiju Conversation Podcast said Kong Skull Island. So we had a few funny answers in there. I love the funny answers. And we love giving everybody a shout out. So uh, our main topic, Kong Skull Island. The cast and crew for this film is, I just have listed an all-star cast because, I mean, my goodness, you have John Goodman, you have Tom Hiddleston, you have Brie Larson, you have Samuel L. Jackson, you have John C. Riley. It's just, it's crazy the amount of stars in this film. And it's directed by Jordan Vogt. Is it Vogt or Voigt? I think it's Vogt. Vogt Roberts, yeah. Okay, Jordan Vogt Roberts. Uh, is the uh, director for this. And the plot breakdown for this movie? Set in the 1970s and after the Vietnam War, a team of scientists explores an uncharted island in the Pacific. While venturing into the domain of the mighty ape known as Kong, the team must fight to escape a primal ecosystem inhabited by fantastic beasts and where to find them uh, <laughs> and unspeakable horrors the film quickly becomes a struggle between man and nature with both forces battling bullet and claw for survival so i'm gonna hand it over to sam first because i feel like we kind of dominated the news segment michael so i'm gonna give sam uh, room to talk. By all means, <laughs> what are your initial thoughts on this movie, Sam? I thought this was just a fantastic, really fun romp. Like it's, it's the perfect amount. Uh, I think there's, I think the cast is great. I think there's potentially one or two characters that are kind of like, uh, maybe a bit superfluous. You don't need them too much. But out of all the universal ones, I think this is the one where they had interesting human characters and they still had just fantastic monster fights. So many cool different, like, beasts as well. And not only, like, uh, the massive ones. You've got, like, these, um, those little psycho birds that go around, uh, cutting people up with their knife faces and all that sort of stuff. Just, mm-hmm. just really cool animals on that island. I thought it was, I, I really think it's, it's just a really good fun film. They don't, they yeah. don't do too much with, like, uh, so I think, uh, we, we should talk about this later as well. I, like it when they go really light on the science in this Mm -hmm. one i thought they did there was no like attempt to explain evolution or anything there's a bit of like anthropomorphized backstory given for kong but it's it's still pretty it's just here's a bunch of giant monsters they're fighting you've got to you're stuck on an island you've got to get out it was fantastic i really i really like this yeah Yeah. uh and uh michael uh what are your initial thoughts on this movie i love this movie I really do love this movie. Um, 
I would I'm gonna say that I I'm gonna agree with probably the, a lot of people that this is the best entry we've gotten so far in the MonsterVerse, and that's saying as someone who loved King of the Monsters, who really enjoyed uh, Godzilla for 2014, I'm gonna say that there is something about Kong Skull Island that I just think that that puts that film head and shoulders above those other two. Uh, I don't know if it's the all-star cast. I don't know if it's it seeming like it, it seems like this movie just doesn't really belong in the monster verse. I feel like it can stand on its own. Um, and I don't, like I said, I don't know if that's just because of the all-star cast and you know, we didn't quite get that with the other two films, except for Brian Cranston rest in peace. Um, but <laughs> I just I just really really love this film. It's so much fun from start to from the from the first little snippet you get of Kong uh in the opening uh few minutes up until the final sequence. It is it's a tremendous film and I can see why a lot of the fan base love this and and put it as the top film in the monsterverse right now. Yeah, and for me, it's no secret, I haven't made any secret on the podcast that I'm not a King Kong or Kong fan, um, for, from, you know, just of the movies in general, um, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is about hairy, furry, uh, kaiju, I don't like, I always go with the scaly ones, <laughs> I, I am, a, I'm Team Godzilla all the way. But that being said, this movie is fantastic, and I had way more fun with this movie than I went in expecting to have, and I just, I enjoyed it immensely. Fun fact, uh, I learned this from, from Nathan's take on this film, that it took two artists over two years to animate Kong's fur and facial features. Oh, wow. Because Animating want... fur is a... Sorry, sorry. No, I was just going to say it, it took, it was, they wanted to make him as lifelike as humanly possible. And, yeah. uh, it took a long time for them to get it right. And you're, and probably, and what you're going to say, Sam, animating, animating fur is extremely difficult. Yeah. And time the, consuming. Um, yeah. The corridor crew, uh, they did a really good, uh, breakdown of it a while ago. They went from kind of one big breakthrough, which was Sully in Monsters Inc. Mm -hmm. uh and then the next big breakthrough which was actually pikachu and detective pikachu mm -hmm. and they went through kind of you know why it's so hard the fact that every time an organism moves its hair's got to move but all kind of depending on you know how wrinkly the skin is or where the joints are it's all got to move in different ways and it's just mm -hmm. it sounds like a nightmare and on something that massive i just and that's probably why yeah. we yeah. don't see a lot of uh, giant monsters with fur. Honestly, <laughs> we see a lot of giant monsters yeah. with scales and a lot of yep. giant uh, aquatic monsters, but we don't see a whole lot with fur. Uh, yep. Kong and maybe Behemoth are the only two furry kaiju in the monster verse. Well, the the water buffalo. I forget about the water buffalo, but uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the the. I mean, we're going to get into some more detail uh, about the um, different animals and stuff, but the creatures that are featured in here, of the ones that are featured, which one was your favorite? Um, let's start with Sam. Oh. This I mean, is it's okay one, to go cause... with Kong. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, 
Kong, that I I really enjoy creativity. One of the things about these films is that, for instance, whenever I see, uh, you guys remember the, the latest Aquaman film where you know there's a, mm-hmm. a land that kind of time forgot, and they did it, I guess, in the 2005 uh, King Kong movie as well. Mm-hmm. They've just it's just normal dinosaurs pretty much, and I'm like, right. 65 mm-hmm. million years has passed. Some evolution's going to have happened. Give us some, give us something new, right? So. Mm-hmm. I really liked the skull crawlers. I think they were really cool. Um, I thought the the stick insect, uh, the massive stick insect, like huge log thing, was really cool as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. I really like the uh, the idea behind those psychotic little birds. Um, oh yeah, just because. So I read the the comics uh, in preparation for the first episode we did, the Kong Skull Island uh, right. cinematic animalia episode, <clears> ages <throat> back. And um, them, and then there's some other species that are kind of vaguely related to them as well. And they're just, mm-hmm. they're, they're constantly just like in a, in a state of um, psychotic rage. And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a great um, adaptation from an evolutionary perspective, but to see these tiny little things that, and mm-hmm. that you, you wouldn't think they're a threat, but then all of a sudden they're having that big celebratory moment and they just pick up um, old mate uh, who's keen to get off the island and just rip him to shreds in midair. That was... Yeah. I, sh- I shouldn't have been laughing at that scene, but I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> so I think I... I really like the, the spider, the bamboo, the bamboo. Ugh, I'm, oh, just, yeah. I'm just naming them all at this point. I, I don't think yeah. I can pick a favourite. <laughs> I, I really thought that this was a really kind of creative look. And you were saying before, it's because uh, they, they don't, they can't use dinosaurs, but... I think it really works in their favor. I think it does too. Yeah. Um, probably for yeah. me, I'm going to go with uh, the Alpha Skull Crawler, uh, Ramorak. Uh, I think that's what it's mm-hmm. referenced as. Um, that one was a lot of fun. <laughs> so was the juveniles. I, I really felt like the juvenile skull crawlers. You, they were a little bit closer to human size, uh, so you felt a little bit more of terror when one of those yep. showed up, as opposed to the really big one, the one that's just the one that fights Kong at the end. Uh, but I'm going to agree with you, Sam. The the crab slash bamboo spider, I thought that was a nice little surprise uh, in the yeah. film. I mean, the the log uh, mantis or whatever. I, I know that there's names for these, and I, I was trying to remember them all. But the the log insect and the um, the bamboo spider crab slash spider slash crab. Uh, that was a really neat surprise because they're walking through this bamboo forest, and all of a sudden. Whoosh, like they look yeah. back and they're and they're and their mates impaled. So I mean, um, it was just a really cool. It was just a really really nice, really interesting surprise. And then the little birds. Uh, yeah, I can see. I can see why you would like the birds because they are kind of. Yeah. Um, they're they're really neat. The, the see, it, you make an interesting. You made an interesting point, Travis. I think uh, that you've got these little things, but then you also just have regular seagulls. On the island. Right. And regular deer. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, okay. So that is one thing I, I thought was really interesting. And I, I wanted to bring that up, especially when you get into, um, cause we're going to let you go into a lot of the ecology and, and biology of the island, what you think, uh, yeah. in your opinion. But, but I find it really weird that there are these massive creatures and these weird monsters but you also have like just deer, mm-hmm. yeah. and you just have like seals. Yeah, the first yeah. and it's like the first animal we encounter on the island, I believe, is a, a, a herd of mule deer, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Uh, yeah. So it's like 
what what is going on on this island i don't understand <laughs> um for me i do really love the giant water buffalo things i i just when they when it first raised out of the water i just i thought that was so fascinating and so creative i just i, I love it, has it. Kind eyes. um i love the more gentle yeah i love the <laughs> i love how cute and, and kind they are they're not they're not there to hurt you everything else was there to hurt them but that one was not there to hurt anybody um so well, getting I into things if, they, if that thing had felt threatened i reckon that'd charge you down in a second water buffalo can be nuts yeah oh yeah oh yeah, yeah for sure uh i think i when my rationale in my head was this animal probably has because there's so few humans on that island that it probably doesn't have that instinctual fear of man that you know we might have in some other uh animals so that's why it just stood there and just looked at them <laughs> um so uh things that i liked about this film one one of the things i look I, I i'm a sucker for period pieces i love things set in you know time periods and stuff and when they take the go the extra mile and make you really feel like this movie or this film i mean uh, or this tv show is set in the time period that it's supposed to be in uh it, it i'm a sucker for that and so the fact that this is set in the late 70s is really interesting and i think that was a really smart idea for the uh filmmakers uh, i know that the director has said that the original script had it set in world war one but that they uh changed it to be set in at right at the uh end of the vietnam war is what he decided to change it to and i think it works for the best what do you guys think um sam you want to start yeah i i agree i think uh that aesthetic lends itself really well like the the character samuel jackson's character of like this this guy who's just addicted to it at this point like and not only that like he's pissed off that america lost and like he just wants to go out there and blow some shit up and he can't tear himself away from this just yet. Like, I, th I think that whole aesthetic works really well. I hate that there's no, like, music or shots of, you know, Vietnam or aesthetics that haven't been done to death at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, there's no new aesthetic kind of twist you can add to it that hasn't... Like, every every sunset image, I'm just like, yeah, that looks amazing. But all I can think of is, oh, it's Apocalypse Now again right yeah but yeah. i mean look and, and, it doesn't I mean, detract from direct... the film at all i don't think yeah and and that's uh i mean there are direct references to apocalypse now and to and to heart of darkness which apocalypse now is based on uh so yeah i can definitely see that and it is one of those things that we have a ton of uh vietnam war era uh films yeah. and so doing that I, I one thing that where going along with what you were saying where that really stands out to me is the music the music that they chose just kind of became a little relentless to me because it was just like just slapping you over the face like this is the 70s this is the 70s <laughs> like okay i get it it's the 70s <laughs> so i mean that's a nitpick but that was one of the things that i didn't like that like you were going into um michael what are your thoughts on everything uh, i i really enjoy period pieces too I just uh, I just find it interesting how a di how directors and, and writers can take something from that era and adapt it to whatever project that they're working on. I felt like this film had some of the best cinematography of a giant monster film that I've seen. Actually, probably best 
best cinematography I've, I've seen on a ton of films, especially Vietnam era films. Um, you know, Kong's big reveal when he stands up in front of the sunset. I mean, that's just iconic, uh, of course. And you, you, you really feel how massive he is. Um, one of the best lines out of that sequence is, is that a monkey? Is, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Spoken ironically by Toby Kebbell, who is playing God's, who right. is playing King Kong. Yeah. Right. right. Uh-huh. Um, I like all the callbacks that they did to 76 and 33. Uh, specifically, there was a lot of callbacks to 33. The skull crawlers are, an, are a direct callback to the 33 film. If you remember in 19, the film, the, the lizard creature that's crawling up the cave wall, um, that looks drastically, that looks very similar to a skull crawler. So that, and I think it's even confirmed that that's where they base their uh, design choices off of that creature from 33. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final battle, uh, between him and Ramorak where Kong is tied up in chains and there's one seat and there's one shot in that battle where he's literally his arms are literally spread apart as he's bound up in chains and that's sort of a, that's a reference to every Kong film I feel like but specifically 1933 um, we had the actual boat from the movie uh, not the movie but from the original story mm-hmm. uh, the was it the Wanderer yeah I think it was uh, the I'm pretty sure it was the wanderer yeah the there was a there's a scene where there's a rusted out um boat that's uh and they oh, see the name right. yeah, on the yeah. island called the wanderer and that's a reference to the original book that mm-hmm. king kong comes from because in the movie it was named something in the 33 movie it was named something else yeah. i forget I felt what it was like called in this film and i don't know if y'all agree with me or not but i felt like marlo was the star of the show is that John C. Uh, Riley's char- character? Yeah, it's John C. Riley's mm, character. Fantastic. I felt yeah. I felt like he was the star of the show. I was more interested than him than Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson because they're just the generic um, uh, stoic tracker and uh, overzealous war photographer slash journalist. Um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character was very Ahab like mm. uh, in mm-hmm. his pursuit of Kong. Uh, it turned into a revenge story very quickly, and some of, and really, and some of the best shots from the film are Kong's interaction specifically with with Packard and his team, because the 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 shot that I remember that really set the tone for what you can expect later on was um, was it when they let off was it when they let the first napalm blasts off, and you see Kong and uh, Packard lock eyes, and it's just like okay. And, and yep. they use the same, you can see the, the fire in, in Packard's eyes and same thing with Kong. You know that it's, it's not going to get any, it's not going to get much better between those two. And some of the best interactions, I, some of the best interactions, uh, shots of the film rather, uh, are between Kong and, and the Packard and Packard's, uh, squad. Uh, yeah. one, like, and, t- go ahead, Travis. Oh, and I was going to ask, uh, Sam, what do you, what do you think of the actors and the, uh, characters in this? So, I uh I I think most of the cast is fantastic. Uh, I also just think I know he's you know not an actor, but I think Kong. I know it's kind of a cop out because it's easier to get human emotions or put more personality behind a primate than it is right. uh, behind a, a massive lizard. Mm-hmm. But I think that he does have a bit more personality. Like you understand kind of a bit of his motivations and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's one really good point. 
I agree that uh, I think I find Tom Hiddleston in this incredibly dull and almost unnecessary. Uh, I think you could have just slapped him and uh, Brie Larson's character into one because uh, I, I I do think that those two together. I mean, they they don't have and they're kind of a bit one dimensional. Both of them. Uh, I also think to- Toby Kebbell's role as a human in this. Mm-hmm. So I know we're getting into dislikes, and I've got I've got more likes. But apart from yeah. that, like um oh, and also the two scientists uh um I I feel again one of them uh I, I just don't think you needed both of them. Uh, I think there were a few too many extras. But the main ones, like I love yeah. Samuel Jackson, thought he was great. Uh uh, John C. Riley was fantastic. Uh, and then I, I know they're a bit annoying and they're there for comic relief, but I really like uh, the two the two soldiers who were just going back and forth the whole kind mm-hmm. of time. And I do oh, enjoy yeah. kind of the fake out of you think he's going to go and sacrifice himself and the skull caller just smashes him into a cliff and he right. falls for nothing. Sam, like, let yeah. me ask you, who do you think in this film had the most interesting slash meaningful character arc that you could see? Oh, if we include John C. Riley's post-credit scene where he reunites with his family, then it's him. Uh, right. <laughs> apart mm. from that, <sighs> probably Packard. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think any of the others yeah. went through. There, I didn't think there was too much character development. And I think mm-hmm. this is something Jordan Vaught Roberts has even spoken about since. Like, he regrets mm-hmm. that he got together this amazing all-star cast and then kind of splits them up for large portions of the film, doesn't let them work with each other. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he has talked about that, uh, that that is a regret of his. Because yeah. um, he went nuts yeah, after it, the CinemaSins video uh, came out for this, right? Yeah. That was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a big it was a big controversy uh and I mean I'm not a CinemaSense fan so I'm not going to defend them but at the same time I there is a level of I think Jordan uh vote Roberts went a little too hard on them yeah. because they they were just kind of doing their shtick and their yeah. shtick is to nitpick things and right. it's kind of that's the humor of it is to nitpick right. but um but at the same time, I mean, he, I, I do, I do like that he recognizes the faults in this movie yeah. and he recognizes where he, he could have done things better. Um, and the characters is, is the, really the main downfall of this film is that none of the characters really have a full arc. No. They kind of, they end almost all of them end where they began. Yeah, like right. no, very few of them actually changed. I think and I forget the character's name, um, but the scientist who also appears in King of the Monsters. Dr. Brooks. Dr. Brooks. He probably has the biggest character arc because he goes from being a skeptic who's just kind of along for the ride because he wants to prove his theory of the uh, um, Hollow Earth correct mm-hmm. to being full on yes this is real i now understand monsters are real and we mm-hmm. need to find them and understand them and maybe stop them from <laughs> from taking over the world um yeah that's so, interesting that you said that's interesting that you said that because i didn't even think about brooks to be honest with you. i like brooks's character don't get me mm-hmm. wrong but i would uh, I, but aside from marlo of course because everyone loves yeah. marlo um packard's 
Packard, Packard's character evolved some for me because at the very end, before he pull, before he goes to pull the trigger, you maybe have an idea that he's not going to do it, but he's just blinded mm. by so much rage that he yeah. he cannot help himself, and then eventually he meets his end by getting smashed to death. But um, right before dropping yeah. his big swear the, word. Yeah, 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 yep. Mother, yeah, yeah, and um, th- probably Lieutenant Cole. The guy that tried to sacrifice yep. himself mm-hmm. because he evolved some. He didn't evolve a ton, but he did. He was one of the ones that I noticed evolved some uh, because before he was just he started out the film as just a just a, a gunhead. He was uh, he was a lackey. He was just a guy that was there to do a job. And then the longer things went on, and I think his breaking point was when Chapman was eaten by a skull crawler. Mm-hmm. Um and so that was uh, Cole. I feel like I feel like that was his breaking point, and then he just, you know, he met his end by trying to sacrifice himself. But you know, the skull crawler was just too intelligent for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Chapman was a good character. I thought be, uh, you, he was just one of those you just really felt sorry for mm-hmm. because all he wanted to do was get back to his boy. No, I, I didn't say and, the point of uh, him. Like he's he gets. I mean, yeah. he was useless. I mean, I'll be honest, he was <laughs> useless. Uh, he he was but the. He was there to pull the heartstrings yeah. is really what yeah. it was. He was there to make you feel sorry for someone when they got eaten by the by the skull crawler. And he was really there to make you feel sorry for Kong because that sequence, the scene where he's in the lake and Kong comes and they're both uh, almost at the same time tending to their own wounds from mm. the previous oh, battle. Yeah. That yeah. was when you, that he was he was there to make you feel sorry and and bring some kind of connection to Kong, mm. not maybe not necessarily you were supposed to feel I mean you're supposed to feel bad for him of course but you were supposed to, he was used as a tool to make you feel sorry for Kong because they did draw that sort of direct uh, comparison to Chapman tending to his wounds and of course Kong trying to uh, t- to tend to his wounds. Which you know, and always Kong's Kong is always going to be written as a very sympathetic character, right? And I think, I mean, I fully agree with you guys that all of the side characters, or at least some of the side characters, seemed more interesting than the two main leads. Like the two main leads are really, really one note, and and they just didn't really stand out. I mean, they they turned in a decent performance, but yeah. for the most part, they weren't the memorable. Uh, characters, yeah. whereas Brie all Larson of the... irritates me anyway. So. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm on the other side. But... I, I think she's fantastic. I was looking forward to this, but no, I don't think it's her fault or Tom Hiddleston's fault. I just don't think they give her anything to do. True. Yeah, I don't think it's either their fault. It's just yeah, we said like the downside of this is the characters, but there is one character we haven't even mentioned in this, and that is John Goodman's character. Yeah, because again... Oh, and yeah. how could we forget John Goodman, though? He His performance, though, his performance was fantastic. I really enjoyed his his character. But we, were we supposed to feel bad when he got eaten? Because was he a good guy? I... That that came out of, like, left field. I think he, he basically got cranstoned. In this film, the same way that Cranston, Brian Cranston got in 2014, he just he was the this very interesting character that obviously something is going on with him. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, just boom, he's gone. Yeah. And, and same, with, fo- the, same yeah. with the female, the female scientist in King of the Monsters that ended up getting. Eaten yeah. By yeah. Kevin. Out uh, of yeah. nowhere, too. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, there is there is kind of this just I, I guess it is a trope now of trying to make you feel like, oh, anyone can die by taking mm-hmm. a character that you connect with and suddenly having them die all of a sudden you know and and i just don't think it's done as well it doesn't have the impact that maybe filmmakers think it has um, because i've seen it done a lot and it just doesn't have the impact that uh they think it has Um, john goodman's character was a was very much a carl denham character type character Mm -hmm. where and the difference is well the difference between the two being carl denham was trying to put on a show and trying to make money where uh, John Goodman's character was just trying to prove a point. He was just trying to prove the world yeah. wrong, that he was not crazy. Yeah. And and his backstory of being on that Navy oh, vessel yeah. that was attacked, and I looked up to make sure that, because I didn't read, um, I haven't read the comic books yet, but... Um, I think it's an after. Sh- I think it's in the aftershock. Comic, is it the aftershock comic? Okay. Yeah. Um, where that boat is attacked by Godzilla. Yeah. And destroyed by Godzilla. And so he is this survivor of Godzilla's attack on this vessel. And so he knows that these creatures exist and he just wants to prove it by any means necessary that they exist and show the world that they exist. Um, so yeah, he was, he was really interesting. His outfit and uh, costume was like Michael said, a direct inspiration from uh, or throwback to Carl Denham from the 1933 uh, King Kong movie. Or Jack Black, yeah. if you remember the 2005. Yeah, the 2005, who is Carl Denham, you know, the original, or uh, playing the same character. Um, I really expected John C. Riley just from the trailers and everything that I saw back in the day. I expected John C. Riley's character to to kind of stand out like a sto- uh, like a sore thumb from this and not he really did. blend he, in. He did in a good way. He did in a good way. I actually really enjoyed him more than I thought I would. I, and it's not anything against him. I like the actor, but just in this movie I thought, man, that's really going to just take me out of the movie and it didn't it did not take me out of it because it's like hey when you're stuck for 30 years on this island with natives who don't speak to you and with giant monsters like of course you're gonna be a little nuts (laughs) right and it's always that uncomfortable that it's i think it's it's that uncomfortable laughter that he does when he's Mm -hmm. when he's nervous and he's trying to and he knows it's a bad idea he just breaks into this really uncomfortable awkward laughter um that's both that's funny and a little bit unsettling because he you know like he said uh i think it was when they were going to go to the west side i think it was the west end of the island uh toward the graveyard and he was trying to talk them out of it and then he as they're walking away he says what you know what do i know i've only been here for 28 years you know yeah Uh, yeah let's let's get into that now uh that's one of my negatives for this movie why in the world would you not listen to the guy who's lived on this island for 30 years? To be fair, he does give the impression of being a little bit tapped in the head a couple of times. I I, I don't care how... No- if he's walking around naked with his underwear <laughs> tied to yeah. his head, I would still listen to the guy who's lived on this island. He has survived. He has obviously done something right. If if walking around naked and wearing your underwear on your head is what you got to do to survive on this island, I would be following that crazy <laughs> yeah. guy and doing the same Stripped thing. He obviously... 
<laughs> right. He's obviously doing something right to live on this island. So listen to him. One thing that bothered me about his character, though, there was no real explanation as to why he became so close to the Iwis, the Iwi, mm-hmm. the Iwi tribe. There was no backstory. I mean, I can. I mean, we can all assume that he's just been there for so long that eventually um, he grew. They grew to trust him. Uh, mm-hmm. when they realized he was not a threat but i still would have loved to know um was he starving in the forest and then one day someone from the tribe found him and brought him in i mean i just i mean obviously he had his partner there too uh well his former enemy turned partner turned friend um but i would still like to know all that stuff maybe he's just that yeah. really annoying house guest who doesn't leave like the ewe could be like really talkative but this guy comes along and they're just <laughs> like true too let's just tell them we don't speak to each other so that. we don't have to have conversations with this bozo and mm-hmm. then he just sticks around forever and they're like well i guess we're gonna pretend we don't speak for the next 30 years yeah, that's right and uh, <laughs> like you get the feeling that as soon as as soon as he's he's out of earshot they're all like <sighs> I forgot what my voice sounded like. I haven't spoken to my... I haven't told my son I loved him for the last 30 years. It's been really hard. (laughs) Yeah. I I do wish they had gone into a little bit more about the Islanders. But seeing as we've gotten so... We've gotten so many Kong movies where they really explore the Islanders. I get why this one they wanted to shy away from it and do something different. But then I kind of like... Well, now I kind of wish you did do that. I'm just glad they didn't do the whole human sacrifice thing again. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. I think that's another thing where copyright comes into play because I think that actually is a, okay. a part I of so. the. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's still it, it is it's neat to see a King Kong or a Kong story that doesn't follow your typical Kong story beats or you know the typical Kong thing that we're familiar yeah. with. You know, after watching the 33, the 76, the 05. The, we kind of even, know we know what Kong is about. So even seeing 1962, it the, the even Toho collaborated right. with RKO to do to do uh, King Kong versus Godzilla in 62. Yeah, uh, they had. To, I mean, that followed the that followed the mythology behind Kong pretty closely, also. Which yeah. is interesting. Because yeah. correct me if so. I'm wrong, but wasn't that originally going to be like a Frankenstein film? Yes, mm-hmm. it was King Kong versus Frankenstein. Yeah. I think it's what it was originally planned. It's, re- it's yep. a really yeah, strange weird. switch up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, it, it all came down. To, it came down to name recognition. I think um, there was someone from Universal that wanted King Kong versus Frankenstein, and then uh, an exec. And then that was shot down. And I want to say that it was brought to the executives at Toho. And Toho said, well, if we're going to make some money on this, let's use our biggest property we own, which is Godzilla, and put them both in a film together. And then the rest is, of course, yeah. history. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Toho has a history of, well, this monster is more popular, so let's replace what we were planning mm-hmm. on doing. They have a really, for better or for worse, they do have a bad, or a, they have a history of okay. doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is there any other likes or dislikes that you guys want to, uh, bring up before we get into our, uh, probably the meat of this discussion, which is the fun facts? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I think we've covered all the, pretty much all the likes and dislikes. There's really not a lot 
that I dislike about this movie, to be honest with you. There are some plot holes and some character flaws that I don't like about it, but it's really not worth discussing, to be honest with you. I just really like yeah. the fact that it's like it's just a simple plot. It's like you're stuck on the island, you've got to get off. Like that's that's yeah. the meat of it. And like the King that's... of the Monsters was a bit too convoluted for me. Twenty fourteen, Godzilla, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed, but I don't know, maybe it was just because Aaron Taylor Johnson I find to be an absolute charisma vacuum. Again, I wasn't that entranced with the plot there, but this one, I was just like, yeah, this is simple, this is good, gives us more time to enjoy the monster stuff, and I really like that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, in, um, when I had AJ on, AJ is a, you know, he, he's reviewed a lot of movies on his podcast, uh, and he was the guest for the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes episode, and we were talking about how People tend to think that good movies are these complex, layered things, and bad movies are, you know, these dumb, simple things, but it's actually the opposite. If you ever notice that some of the best films have very simple stories, it's, you know, good versus evil, this one person doing one thing, and it's the convoluted stories that just make things so very confusing or bad it's it's the difference that's what we we talked about it's the difference between complexity and being convoluted because complexity is like oh i put thought into making this thing layered and interesting whereas convoluted is i just didn't know how to fit all this stuff together so i decided to throw it all together into just a big pile yeah Yeah, it's, it's the it's when films become overly preachy like, I'm not opposed to a film having a message, but when it becomes overly preachy and it just kind of hits you over the head constantly with a certain uh, topic or uh, uh, theme, then mm-hmm. it becomes uh, it, it becomes really exhausting to watch. Uh, yeah, or, and- film, or films and directors and writers, whomever, think they're just way too smart for their own good and want mm-hmm. to make this super intellectual film. And then when the general audience doesn't get it, they... Uh, get mad yeah. about it so alex <laughs> prometheus yeah, alex proyas has done a bit of that as well the whole like what what was it because he he's made some classic films back in the day but then he made gods of egypt and he was like oh pe- people yeah. just don't get this people don't get this film i'm like yeah well yeah it's because it's nonsense yeah ridley scott's <laughs> another one of those things ridley scott oh, you know, it's another yeah. one of those types of directors ridley scott just has no idea why the original alien film worked so well it was just a slasher film in space it was so simple and then he wants to make something so complicated and so and add mythology on top of mythology on top of mythology that just makes it so confusing that's just like and, and he did the same thing with with uh what was i thinking of covenant i had another movie in my head yeah, in Covenant, yeah, he just, he, he's, it's, it's so, it's so awful to see that when, when you just don't understand. But I completely agree with you, Sam. This, this film, it actually gave me Jurassic Park, uh, yeah, okay, vibes. Yeah. Um, because it's just these people trying to survive and escape an island full of giant things trying yeah. to kill them. <laughs> like, it is so simple and so easy. And I love that the, cause with, king of the monsters it's about defeating the evil monster with godzilla it's about defeating the evil monster with this one it's not about defeating the evil monster it's about we just have to get off this island screw whatever kong wants to do he can do whatever the heck he wants to do we just need to get off this island alive we don't need to worry about global consequences when we're out of here we're out of here they're not following us right yeah 
Yeah, and that's why I think it feels a lot like Jurassic Park, because it's like, uh, you know, they don't care what's going to happen to the dinosaurs once they leave. They just want to get off the island. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so <laughs> let's move into uh, the fun facts section. So we're going to d- uh, let Sam take over here, because we want to talk about some of the ecology and biology surrounding Skull Island in this movie. So what are some, what are some of the things that you want to talk about? So I guess I should start with, and I'll, like I said, I'll go over this really quickly because the point of a kaiju is they're supposed to be big. So I don't want to sit here and be like, well, you know, they he can't actually be that big because blah, 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 blah. But uh, I mean, some of it's fun stuff. So we'll go over it really quickly. Uh, so Kong's size. At that size, with the amount of energy he's putting out, because I mean, most, most big creatures, they move around fairly slowly. You kind of see that with the way Godzilla walks around. Kong is like mm-hmm. jumping up, climbing on mountains, engaging in these huge fist fights. Like he he is he's putting out a lot of energy. He would need mm-hmm. like a minimum so you know when you see him grab that giant squid uh, and he's like chomping yeah. down on that? He'd need to eat like eight of those a day just to satisfy like basic energy requirements, let alone, you know, the vitamins and that sort of stuff. And right. you don't see any like megaflora on the island. All the plants and that sort of stuff are normal sized. So I don't, I don't know what he's eating, uh, but mm-hmm. he's going to be eating a lot. Um, water? Yeah, and that... that, that uh, I'm sorry for cutting you no, off no, there, no, but that is, one, that is one thing that I find very interesting, because Kong, even though this version of Kong, more than any other, is not a gorilla. Like, it's obviously a little bit different than a gorilla, yeah. but he's obviously based on a gorilla you know or a, a great ape of some kind so we know that gorillas eat mostly plants yeah but the only thing you see this king kong or this kong eating is meat he eats the squid and he eats one of the soldiers who falls yeah. out of one of the helicopters so i find that very fascinating if they intended this kong to be carnivorous and if that's the case, like you said, what's he eating? There's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of megafauna, but it didn't seem like there was enough to sustain an entire population of Kong yeah. apes. Uh, and if he's eating plants like a regular ape, or then where are the plants? Like you said. Yeah. So I'll let so, you keep going. <laughs> I think he's, he's obviously not a gorilla, but he's definitely in the same family uh, as us. So hominidae is our family. Uh, mm-hmm. And that includes chimps, gorillas, orangutans, and humans. So he's probably in that. There have been members of that uh, family that eat mostly meat. So Neanderthals are the closest cousins we've got. They were like 80% carnivores. Uh, they needed meat to survive. They were actually cannibals as well, were found out uh, through some uh, some recent research. So there is precedent for that. But, I mean, even already, like, uh, Homo Neanderthalus is a long way away from gorillas. But, I mean, something that big, like, you cannot... I mean, you look at an elephant, massive thing, and they spend so much of their time just eating uh, plants to satisfy their dietary requirements. So, right off the bat, you've got an issue. And then you've got to, like, what's he drinking? Because there are freshwater lakes on the island, and the island is obviously near the equator, so it's going to be raining a lot of the time. But for him to keep just, like, water requirements up, he's going to be draining any of those lakes that you see in, like, a day. And then, like, when he goes to the... When he takes a leak... Look, mm-hmm. 
the erosion generated <laughs> by that is just going to clear land. It's mm-hmm. it's going to be horrifying. Anybody in the way, any of those mule deer are just going to be swept away in this giant tsunami of gorilla urine. It's going to be uh, <laughs> quite horrifying. Um, but one of the things is like, despite the fact that he's bigger, uh, because mm-hmm. we've evolved, because one of the times we're, we're our most vulnerable, almost any animal is when you're urinating. So you've got to keep mm-hmm. it to like as short a period as possible, even if you're an apex predator or, you know, a, mm-hmm. a keystone species at the top of the food web in this case. Right. So he's going to be expelling a large amount of urine, but it's still going to be in a, over a really short time span. Uh, wow. Pumping blood up through that body over such, like it's going to take an in- insanely powerful heart and he's going to have to have some sort of weird blood vessels i'm skimming over a lot of this because i want to get through it but also because dave is our philly the physiology expert and he's much more qualified Mm -hmm. to talk about this sort of stuff and the air that he'd have to take in like he'd be taking two breaths a minute max just to suck in enough oxygen to keep his body and his brain working uh especially since he I mean, the brain requires a massive amount of oxygen. I think it's like every four or six breaths we take, that oxygen goes like a quarter or a sixth of all the oxygen we breathe is just to power our brains. He's fairly smart. He's using tools. He's smashing these skull crawlers with a baseball bat. Like he knows what he's doing, especially if, you know, as you said in the new film, he's made an axe out of uh, out of Godzilla's, one of Godzilla's spinal plates. That takes, you know, a degree of intelligence that chimps, gorillas and... Well, anything in that family of hominidae has. Um, yeah. So he's going to need a lot of oxygen and he's going to take a long time to suck it all up. Like his bone structure, this whole thing about creatures getting larger, getting stronger is not really a thing. I don't know how he's going to keep his bone structure together, but the reality is if he stubs his toe, he's probably going to break his entire foot just because of the the size requirements that he's going to have. Uh also, he's a really, like, getting big is really advantageous when you're to- getting towards the poles, so right away from the equator, because you minimize your surface area to volume ratio, which means it's a lot harder for you to lose heat. But he's a big, furry, a huge furry ape uh, on the equator. He's, he's going to be sweating. Like, it's, it's just, it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not an area that's made for, like, really large, hairy individuals. Uh, so he should live somewhere more like Antarctica or something like that. Somewhere further south in any case, yeah. Somewhere colder, yeah. like the tundra maybe. But then it's not a great mm-hmm. place for primates because you just... I mean, we're, right. we're by far the uh, the most far-spread out primates. Most of them are really close to the equator. We're the only mm-hmm. primate species who's made it beyond, uh, beyond the equator. And that was the Neanderthals kind of moving up into northern Europe that took us up there. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the basic physiological stuff about why he's, uh, you know, a bit too big. Uh, but then there's some stuff which is really specific to Con. And this is where, you know, my, uh, I study island biogeography and macroecology, which are trends that you see all over the world. Uh, so ecological trends that you see on really large scales. So creatures, as I said before, just because of that, uh, volume, uh, to surface area ratio, they tend to get larger as they get further away from the equator. Uh, he's right on the equator. Like, I don't know how he's gotten this big. Um, cause normally, cause it's a lot more, you're a lot more species rich at the equator. There's a lot more species around there. Uh, and as you get further away from the equator, a lot of the time, uh, animals, different species will get released from competition. So some of the things that were perhaps preying on them or competing with them for resources aren't there anymore. So because they've got access to more resources and less predators to worry about, they'll get a bit larger. But he's smack bang on the equator. 
Now, he's on an island, which makes it a bit easier because when species move to islands, sometimes they get a bit bigger because they're released, again, from predation or competitors. Some of the stuff they'll have on the mainland isn't there anymore, so they can get a bit bigger. However, with primates, it normally goes the other way uh, because we're used to having a lot more resources, not having to worry too much about predators uh, because, you know, we work in groups. We've often gotten smaller. So I don't know if you guys have heard of the, the hobbit, Homo floresiensis. Yeah. 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 So that's just an example of a human that was probably, I, I'm not sure exactly what they think. They think it was a descendant of Homo erectus or the Denosovans or something like that. But it moved mm-hmm. to this island and because all of a sudden it doesn't have as many uh, resources, it got smaller as opposed to getting bigger. And that's why you've got this species that looked almost exactly like us, but was much smaller. Uh, Europe used to be an archipelago as opposed to the massive continent it is now. A lot of those classic mm-hmm. dinosaurs you see, like Ankylosaurus, uh, Diplodocus, those huge sauropods or theropods, they were on Europe as well, but the species were much smaller, like kind of four or five meters long, uh, just because they didn't have the resources. Uh, mm-hmm. But some, and reptiles are a good example. Some species who are predators on the mainland, like smaller predators, will get bigger because all of a sudden they've got more resources and that sort of stuff. Uh, sorry, <laughs> because all of a sudden there's... Um, they've been released from competition. And so right. they might be losing a predator or something, or like I said, something that normally takes some of their resources is gone. So perhaps the skull crawlers um, could have, you know, been something that was smaller on the mainland. And then all of a sudden they've been chucked into this, uh, this new ecosystem when they've migrated out to the island, which we'll get into it in a second. Yeah. Well, the uh, way, uh, the way it's kind of, the way it's kind of presented is the skull crawlers are more of a, a parasitic invasive invasive species yeah than something natural that would occur um that's the way i that's the way i i feel like it was portrayed is where they just this parasitic species that have lived underground for god knows how long yeah and that that's the the thing about these guys is that you can't have like the the whole relationship, and this is also in, just in the larger monsterverse in uh, the legendary universe in general, is that you have all these massive species who are kind of competing. Now that does happen on kind of like population or species level scales, like one population of a species will be competing with another population for a resource. But almost always, what happens there is that you have either niche segregation where one population moves into a more specific area to take advantage of, you know, uh, an area that the other species can't get to, or one species just goes extinct from that area. Uh, And I think that's kind of what they've suggested. And in the comic book, they certainly suggest that these skull crawlers came to the island and then they wiped out the rest of Kong species. Um, But the thing is that this place is supposed to be super isolated, like nobody's able to get in there. Now, the fun thing about the legendary verse is that this is a universe in which the Hollow Earth theory is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like the original Hollow Earth theory from the 1800s suggested that there was just like a massive cavern in the middle of the Earth. This Hollow mm-hmm. Earth theory is more like just under the Earth's crust. There's like tunnel systems and all that sort of stuff and massive caverns right. just under the crust. So, and when, sorry, when I say just under the crust, I mean just under the Earth's surface. It's still part of the crust. Right. Uh, and you see that in right. um, King of the Monsters as well. Those uh, That right. underwater cavern that uh, the Godzilla goes to uh, to get booted up again in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I guess if you take that theory as, um, 
as gospel in this universe, then yeah, you've got a mechanism for these species getting into this island. Uh, because, I mean, theoretically, this island is super isolated. The more isolated mm. an island is, the, uh, the lower the species richness should be. Uh, because you, A, you don't get much more, you don't get much immigration. Uh, and you also just, once a population has immigrated to a certain island, it's got to be kept up by immigration uh, coming in constantly to supply it with new new genetic material. Otherwise, they're right. all just going to be inbred after like, you know, three or four generations. And they're probably going to be filled with really bad genetic defects, uh, higher susceptibility to disease, that sort of thing. Uh but, like I said, that hollow earth theory allowing more of these skull crawlers to come through from somewhere else, uh, that kind mm. of allows allows them to survive here. But that doesn't change the fact that uh, you could not have a population of, uh, of whatever Kong species is on this island, because there's just right. not enough space for them. Uh, they're huge. Big gorillas are big, dis- uh, big animals are better dispersers, so... He could theoretically reach any point on this island, no problem. And it's not that big an island either. Like, uh, right? It's like I'd be, I'd be interested to know what your thoughts on. Uh, we've you've, you've covered sort of the physiology behind Kong really well, but yeah. I wondered sort of what your thoughts were behind the skull crawlers because this, aside from some of the other megafauna um, on the island, they're really mu- they're pretty much the biggest other predator on the island so i'm just curious how much food they would have to consume to keep up that that high energy level oh they'd have and to be eating constantly they're uh high, i think they're described as hypervores like they'll just eat whatever they can find yeah so there's a couple of species on the island i think there's them there's like also another thing called a psycho vulture and then there's these weird mm-hmm. like uh velociraptor kind of things that will just eat anything mm-hmm. so i mean they're not going to be able to get good nutrition from a lot of this sort of stuff. From the way they're built, you have to kind of assume that the main thing they're consuming is meat. Uh, and on an island this small, they're either going to... I don't think... If they've got access to like a chain of islands through the Hollow Earth theory, I think they're going to, they're going to be okay. One, one thing that's weird about them is I think the two-leg design is really fascinating. It looks really mm. cool. Um, but I don't see the... The benefit of it like i mean you would have to develop this like insanely thick skin because you're constantly dragging yourself along like cave systems presumably along rocks you'd be way better off just having four legs um mm-hmm. but i just i they, they just look so cool and like that moment when one of mm-hmm. them like rams the soldier and he goes flying and he just flicks out the tongue and brings it back in just that was that was haunting almost yeah but <laughs> yeah they're really fascinating um one of the animals i wanted to ask you about because i thought it was really interesting was the uh the bamboo spider thing yeah uh to me of all of the and this is just from me my high school biology yeah. level um to me that seems the most realistic because uh a large insect or or uh, a large crustacean type thing that has adapted to blend in with its surroundings so it can conserve energy 
and just use energy to ambush its predator and snatch up or uh, its prey uh seems to me from like i said from my high school level biology the most realistic um so is there is there anything about that one that you think doesn't work or does work big insects in general you just you can't have big uh invertebrates anything with an external Mm -hmm. skeleton like it's just insects have been bigger in the past uh mm-hmm. and that's when there was a lot more oxygen uh in the air i believe mm-hmm. but they can't support themselves uh when they get past a certain size they'd just be collapsing in on themselves uh so from from a certain perspective you're right uh i mean that whole not expending energy just being an ambush predator being really well camouflaged that's really cool and that works really well but the fact that it does seem to be maybe not an insect because i think it uh i think it's described as a spider but in i mean arachnid mm-hmm. whatever there's still ex- external uh skeletons and it just yeah it, right large large arthropods in general uh just now, can't given, work because it's it's said in the film that kong sort of keeps the the juvenile skull crawlers in check yeah and so they're not really free to run around run on the surface um uh, as much as they maybe would want to so if you take that into consideration could possibly a water buffalo that size exist in this environment so potentially but again i would suggest that to have a viable population there'd need to be a lot of them around and on an Mm -hmm. island that small i think they would actually get i think they'd get smaller the large herbivores i think would tend to get smaller i think you'd see the same situation as you did with those massive far theropod dinosaurs back on the archipelago of europe 60 uh, 70 80 million years ago where you had these move out there and again water buffalo are terrible dispersers so i have no idea how they managed to get out to to this island uh but if they if they somehow did uh i would say that they would probably get smaller instead uh, we don't see this we don't see the ones in this film in herds we just see them sort of being solitary yeah now, uh, again, that is a little weird because a water buffalo doesn't really have, and especially against the type of predators it comes up against, because I maintain that Kong is definitely eating those things. Like when he saves oh, that <laughs> one, he's definitely got just like a paddock out the back of the island somewhere where he's keeping them to pick off one by one, like um, <laughs> like that Cyclops that uh, that Odysseus comes across. In the idiot. Yeah, because uh-huh. I mean, he they'd be to. easy prey for him. But I mean, I the only thing that they've really got going for them obviously they've got the horns on their head but they often you know even bison huge like largest north american land mammal i learned today they they're in herds all the time against packs of wolves mm-hmm. so they would have to be in herds to defend against the skull crawlers let alone against king kong who i think would just be able to take his pick of whatever he's eating on the island you just pick it up like an apple just pretty much yeah chomp. yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> because when when he saves uh, when he saves the one from the airplane uh he just sort of lets it uh run off or yeah. trot off and you can see the massive size difference oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. maybe that's i mean maybe that's a juvenile maybe it's gonna grow up and he's just really all about sustainable resource management he's like no i've got to mm-hmm. yeah gotta keep it to a minimum let it get a bit bigger let the population procreate if i eat too many at once they're all just gonna go extinct in a couple of generations so you know he's thinking about the future i reckon yeah now the thing that gets me and i even mentioned this to michael when we were messaging initially about this movie is we see kong at the very beginning of the movie and that was in 1944 i think is what they said 
and then you fast forward to 1970-whatever, he still looks to be about the same size as, you know, over the course of those 30 years, but then they talk about how he's still growing, and then, of course, now we know, you know, in Godzilla vs. Kong, we've seen some of the leaked things that he's going to be Godzilla size from 19 so from 1970 to 2019 2020 he's gone from you know to being Godzilla size so I that that kind of I had a hard time uh believing that that you know 30 years he didn't grow but then all of a sudden he's growing from 1970 to to 2020 yeah I forgot to look what his size was in this movie I know that that in 2014 well no that, that wouldn't count uh in 2020 you know uh, goji is supposed to be around 394 feet and i think kong is supposed to be about that size maybe 390 feet so just barely shorter um but we to be fair we really don't get a full shot of him at the in the opening scene to really tell how big he is now we can yep. assume he is the same we we can assume he is the same size uh, yeah, but yeah the, I mean, he looks pretty close yeah. to the same size. <laughs> but for, in the comic, if you read the, uh, I think it's uh, uh, the call the Kong Skull Island comic, they say he grows in spurts. Like he won't, like he'll take maybe a season and not grow, which is seems weird to me because I feel like he would constantly have to be growing. I mean, it might just be his access to resources on the island. I mean, if one year he just doesn't get enough protein and it kind of stunts his growth a bit, then potentially that could keep him back i mean maybe he's just gone through a i mean he's knocked the skull crawlers out so potentially he's got again access to a lot more resources because he's got no more competition anymore at that point uh i look the the fact remains that all those measurements i gave at the start that make it kind of impossible for kong to be that big that's with him as a juvenile uh him the size of godzilla it just becomes i mean there's yeah there's nothing we could do yeah yeah and then the fact that there was an entire family of them oh yeah on (laughs) that one point (laughs) that that comic is is real weird like there's a real kind of uh bruce wayne in the alleyway with his parents kind of vibe when uh the the young Mm -hmm. kong like comes across his mum and dad who have like uh sacrificed themselves to fend off the the large skull crawlers and he's just kind of standing there distraught as this young kind of scrawny uh species it's it's very mm. weird that 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 comic Which, book is bizarre, but it does introduce some really cool mega uh, uh, kaiju. Which makes me wonder yeah. because in the movie you notice that his parents are no bigger than what he is now. So yeah, you would assume that they did not actually reach full maturity yeah. before they died. Yeah, so species, I mean, don't have to get to their absolute maximum size before they start reproducing. So there's a lot of species out there. I'm not sure. I, gorillas definitely aren't one of them. But there are a lot of species uh, who, you know, get to maybe the two or three year mark and they can already reproduce, but they'll continue right. growing until they're like eight or nine. So, I mean, the lifespan they're giving for these uh, for these species is like, I mean, he's alive in 1940 already as a massive ape and then he's now mm-hmm. battling, uh, battling Godzilla in the year 2020. So he's at least like 80, 90 years old. Which is, I mean, mm-hmm. we get to 80 or 90 in, like, the global north when we're really well fed and take care of. Just because right. the species is larger right. does not mean it's going to be, uh, it's going to live for longer. Uh, right. So you, the age is large, 
large dogs don't live very long because yep. it's very taxing on their body. Like the, a lot, a lot of large dogs uh, have heart problems, yep. and mm-hmm. uh, just because they're they just cannot move that amount of mass around for for very much longer. I would assume the same would be for Kong. And like to your point, he would have to consume and keep himself up to a level that is just unrealistic. Yeah. And he's in the wild yeah. too. I mean, wolves, uh, we were, we were doing a family quiz the other day to, to keep us entertained in quarantine and wolves <laughs> will live in captivity about as long as a, a well kind of a genetically diverse. So a mongrel dog, none of your pure breeds who have like massive mm-hmm. uh, genetic defects and that sort of stuff. Uh, but in the wild, right. they'll make it like seven, eight years because they're, you know, they're fighting, they're hunting, all that sort of stuff. Kong is very mm-hmm. much in the wild, and he's constantly fighting with these uh, skull crawlers. For most of his life, you get you get the impression of. So mm-hmm. there's no way that his his lifespan is gonna gonna be that long. And again, growing that much, like if he came to the mainland, maybe, yeah. but then it kind of ruins the whole aesthetic of you know Skull Island, which is yeah. right. Yeah, but I mean, you're also talking about a universe where Godzilla is like millions of years yeah. old and still still kicking still around, around so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um well that uh, it is all super fascinating i love hearing this stuff because i'm really interested in like biology and stuff i just never really stuck to it when i was in school <laughs> yeah. um is there any other last little bits of uh facts that you want to share with us before we move into the last little bit because we're we're kind of running low on time yeah there's a couple of points so first of all uh why is there an unfossilized triceratops skull on the island yeah uh, i mean that the we talked we talked already about the um the seagulls uh and the deer being mm-hmm. on the island which is fine you know i mean maybe they've recently come across from the mainland or some somehow some way despite the fact that it's supposed mm-hmm. to have this impenetrable storm system which just sounds like crap right because maybe a seagulls yeah. could get through there and establish a population but the triceratops i mean the, there's no way that a perennial storm system or whatever you want to call it protected them from a global meteor strike. And again, it's just like, right. why didn't they come up with just a cool new skull of something? I love that they had to be creative with the species here. Uh, yeah. And then the, the other thing is when I was trying to figure out what the Island was, oh, and this is one of the things I was going to say before, this is definitely an oceanic Island. So it's an ocean, an Island that was created mm-hmm. by volcanic activity. So I doubt right. it's had any connection to the mainland whatsoever. So mm-hmm. even the hollow earth theory, I mean, maybe it's had immigration from other Island chains, but it, it doesn't look close enough to the mainland to have had any sort of immigration from there. And when I was looking right. this up to see, to get an idea of exactly where the thing was, uh, there's a, there's a shot early on in the movie, uh, that's given of like a map and a latitudinal and longitudinal reading. So I plugged mm-hmm. that in on Google and it's on mainland Vietnam. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, wow. that, yeah. That, that was my that last little comment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, that's all really, really fascinating. Um, so, now going back to talking about the movie itself, just if, as a movie, um, we, and, and Sam, you're probably st- uh, familiar with this too, we like to score our movies out of Godzukis, yeah. <laughs> out of five Godzukis, uh, <laughs> who's the dim-witted nephew of Godzilla from the 1970s cartoon. And uh, so, I want, I'm really curious to see uh, starting with Sam, what do you rate this uh, 
film out of five Godzilla. I, uh, I forgot to put my score in, but I, I'm four out of five, yeah. It's, it, it didn't, like, blow my mind or anything, but I just enjoyed the hell out of it. So, yeah, definitely four out of five Godzukis for me. Nice. And Michael? I'm going to side with Sam and say four out of five. Uh, same reasons i mean it's a solid film uh it's not the deepest it doesn't have the deepest plot it's not gonna make you sit and think too much uh but it is a lot of fun and so just for that pure reason uh and the creativity behind some of the some of the creatures instead of relying on the same old uh tropes that we're used to with the kong with the with the with the kong mythos um i'm gonna go ahead and just give it a four out of five yeah and i i i'm right there with you guys i give it a four out of five because i think there were some flaws in it uh from a movie standpoint uh like the characters being you know the main characters being a little dull and none of them really getting a proper arc so it's not a perfect film but it's a dang good film yeah for sure it is a dang good film and for someone who's not a fan of king kong movies in general i really enjoyed this and i am looking forward to godzilla versus kong whenever it comes out (laughs) if it keeps getting pushed back who knows um so uh moving into our next segment the mailbag segment we have a letter that i wanted to read out which is feedback uh a response to a post we made on the kaiju groupie uh facebook group about kaiju quarantine now i want to remind everybody that if you want to reach out to us and give us uh some feedback or if you want to send us a question or anything like that you can do that kaijuweekly at gmail.com or you can tweet us at kaijuweekly on twitter so nicholas blackler who we talked about um because he gives us a lot of good responses on the kaiju groupie uh he sent in this response when we asked about the kaiju quarantine event and what he thought about it uh this is what he said i really really enjoyed it and i really appreciate all the work you guys put into it I wish I was able to watch all the movies, but times just didn't allow. Discord was also new to me. That's okay. It was new to a lot of us that was actually yeah, doing the true. marathon. <laughs> um, but that doesn't matter. I saw The Black Scorpion for the first time and got to watch a couple Godzilla films with my kids. But the thing that I really, truly enjoyed was having something scheduled to watch. Something I had to make time for or I missed it. Growing up with a TV and antenna, it was exciting to watch the clock throughout the day waiting for a movie or your favorite show to come on and racing to the television to watch it. That is lost now with streaming. I had to actually tell my kids, Dad is watching the TV at 3 o'clock today. They had watching the t- uh, they ha- they had never heard that request. So thanks not only for the nostalgia trip, but also for making me make the time to sit down and enjoy something. Well, I'm going to say, I thought that was, uh, go ahead. I'm just going to say that. Thank you, uh, Nick. I know you're going to listen to this episode. So, um, I mean, we, we really appreciate it. And that pretty much sums up the reason why we did it is just, you know, nostalgia and giving someone who is a fan, uh, a little bit of an escape to everything that's been Mm -hmm. going on lately. So, and that, that was, and that's the reason why we do pretty much this podcast because we want to give people an escape uh from reality from just a little bit and and 
talk about mm-hmm. some of our, our favorite fantasy and some things that don't make a whole lot of sense, but we still enjoy them. So, but thank you, Nick, so much. We appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, Nick. That was really, really beautiful. Uh, I enjoyed reading that. And yeah, it, it my idea for Kaiju Quarantine, when I had this idea for, hey, let's do a watch along, I just kept seeing on social media, everyone so depressed, so down about this quarantine, about the, the social distancing. And so I just wanted to, in a small way, in our way that we could do, just bring some people together and help lift their spirits. So the fact that I did that with my idea, we all did that working together because my goodness, I'm just an ideas guy. If it wasn't for the Tokyo lives people and uh, Chris from Garganja cast and, and, uh, and Nathan and Elijah and uh, Matthew and all of them, we, we wouldn't have done this. And, it was so much fun. It lifted our spirits and we're glad that it lifted everybody else's spirits. Um, so yeah, so that was, I just wanted to highlight that. I thought that was such a beautiful, beautiful uh, thing that we got in response to uh, Kaiju quarantine. So I wanted to highlight that. Um, and so I'm just going to ask real quick, the uh, trivia question for next week, uh, because th- that's going to uh, hint to what the next film we're going to cover is. Uh, so next week's trivia question is, what is the second highest grossing Japanese produced Godzilla film of all time? So not the highest grossing, but the second highest grossing as of right now. Accounting for inflation? <laughs> <laughs> accounting for inflation accounting well, no. actually i don't really know is it counting for I, I inflation so. okay. when i read when i read uh, it on uh on imdb i think it was counting for inflation oh okay okay so uh so yeah so if you guys uh listeners if anybody wants to send us an answer in you can do that on uh twitter kaiju weekly uh at kaiju weekly you can also send us an email kaiju weekly at gmail.com you can follow all of our social medias uh send us an answer in because we're going to be sharing it we're also going to be sharing it on the kaiju groupie facebook group so check it out there uh and it doesn't matter if you get the answer right or wrong or if you want to create a funny answer that's just to make us laugh uh we will give you a shout out on next week's episode so I want to thank you, Sam, for joining us on this week's episode. We enjoy having you here. It was another great discussion like the Tremors one, and this one was so much fun. So is there anything you want to plug? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. I, I've really enjoyed my, uh, my two appearances on here. Anytime. Uh, if you if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Sam Perrin, P-E-R-R-I-N, and then N-T-N-U. Um... Check out Ecology for the Masses. It's where we do our kind of more hardcore science stuff. And of course, check out our Cinematica Animalia, our podcast. We've got, um, we've just released a couple of our episodes on uh, the Phoenix and uh, the Basilisk from Harry Potter. Uh, and we've got a couple of episodes coming out on uh, on Jurassic Park, which was a lot of fun to do. Like the whole, what Jurassic Park actually did for science uh, is, it's just, it's it's fascinating. I'm looking on forward ha- to how it, much yeah. a yeah it's yeah it's really good fun and um yeah on the on the the website ecology for the masses as well we've put up a bit of stuff that uh is really good entry-level stuff for people if they want to get involved in science to develop a new hobby while uh, while they're stuck indoors 
there's some really good Twitter games out there that you can play, which is like IDing animals or even just taking photos of birds in your backyard, uploading them online, that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, it sounds like fun. And I'm glad that you are making science approachable for people because that's that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I'm just going to uh, thank you again, Sam, for joining us. And uh, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast. If you want to follow the podcast on social media, like we said, we're at Kaiju Weekly on Twitter and Kaiju Weekly Pod on Instagram. Uh, you can send in questions, comments, or answers to our trivia questions to our email, kaijuweekly at gmail.com. You can also find us at the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, the unofficial podcast or the unofficial official Facebook group of this podcast. <laughs> let's put it that way um and uh also follow michael at kaiju groupie 54 at, on twitter and the kaiju groupie on instagram and we also want to give a big thank you to brian shijir and thorax for supporting us on patreon that is also available to anyone who feels like they can we know that right now is hard financial time so don't feel pressured into supporting us on patreon but if you feel like you can and you want to give back you can support the podcast patreon.com slash kaiju weekly pod and i think that's it anything else that you guys can think of i just wanted to mention really quickly that travis and i are working on a little bit of bonus content uh for you guys uh for you essential employees that have to still commute back and forth to work and uh, entertain you guys while you're stuck at home. So yeah, just be looking out for that. And the next, uh, I think the next bonus episode comes out next week. I think Travis. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, we're we're doing two a month right now. Uh, bonus episodes, and we're putting them on the main uh podcast feed, so anyone can listen to them. But at, when this whole social distancing and quarantine goes away when we finally get back to normal life we might migrate them over to patreon exclusive Fair enough. so but we're just making them available for everyone right now because like you said uh, we want to make it available for everyone who is have still having to commute <laughs> and uh so uh the only other thing i'm gonna do is just say help control the giant monster population have your giant apes uh spayed or neutered <laughs> i would love to know how that's gonna work uh, oh man you didn't get into <laughs> kong's awesome. genitalia as much as i expected you to oh, <laughs> oh man i completely forgot about it oh let's just say small dong enormous scrotum oh okay oh, okay. okay too bad uh yes yeah, so we're gonna really really good heat heat loss mechanism uh, so that might be some bonus content for a future bonus <laughs> episode <laughs> all right we'll see you later guys thanks guys bye bye